Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. So glad you could join us this morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you uh, just forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, please get your hand up. We get a Bible to you. If you don't own a Bible, then for sure put your hand up, grab one of these, and take it home as our gift to you. But open up a copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be there this morning, the first 14 verses there. While you're turning there, in 1859, this guy's name was Charles Blondin. Maybe you heard of him. Uh, what he did was he traveled to Niagara Falls, and he stretched a wire across the Niagara Gorge. Remember that guy did it a few years ago? He was coming to do it way before he did, right? And he stretched this wire across, and then this guy, Blunder, what he did was he walked across this 1,100-foot, this 330-meter wire. He walks across the Niagara Gorge. Now, he didn't just go across it and, hey, we're done. That was pretty neat. No, he went back and forth. He did it blindfolded. He did it with a wheelbarrow. He did it, got in the middle, he put a chair on, and he, he stood on a chair on one leg on the wire. He even, this is nutty. I don't know why, where he would come up with this idea, but he went to the middle of the wire, sat down, lit a fire, and cooked an omelet for real, right? And, and Wikipedia said it, so it's true. And so he did that. Here's, the, here's the, the nuttiest thing he did, though, and maybe not so much for him, but for the person who went with him. He actually took his manager on his back and walked across. Like, you couldn't pay me enough to be your manager. I'm not doing that, right? And he walked him across the wire. Now, can you imagine if halfway across... As he's carrying his manager across, the manager turns, hey, 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 Charles, thanks a lot for getting me this far. Like, I appreciate you've carried me out here, but you know what? I'm going to take it from here. Like, you know, just let me down. Like, it's not that I don't trust you. I trust you to get me this far, but I'll do the rest myself, and I'll make it across on my own, and you would have had a dead manager, right? I mean, can you imagine thinking, well, well, this guy did it this far. I'll probably be able to do it the rest of the way. And it sounds ridiculous. And yet that's the very same thinking that Paul is talking about as he writes this letter to the Galatian church, as God, through his spirit, writes this letter to us as our church. And what Paul's about to do is blow up one of the biggest misconceptions about the Christian life. If you're tracking with us through this series, you, you see, okay, I, I get the reality of our acceptance before God, that God is a holy God. The only way I can be made righteous, accepted by Him, is all by His work. Nothing I can do. I, I can't barter my way into it. And as, as hard as it is to get our heads wrapped around that idea that it's all God, nothing that we do, there's no adding to the work of Jesus that we can do. In fact, if you get your Bibles open, verse 21 of chapter 2, Right, Paul says, says this, he said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, if I could do it on my own, if I could add stuff to it, then Christ died for no purpose. He's saying, listen, if I could be right with God by stuff that I do, if it isn't all grace, then Jesus was a sucker to go to the cross. And we get that. We've been reading this. We get that. Okay, I get that I can't do this on my own. I could not go from death to life on my own. But here's where we so quickly lose grace. And in church world, we can miss this. So, so it's in Harvest Muskoka, we can miss this. Harvest Prairie Sound, we can miss this. And we think grace got me into the party. I recognize that I shouldn't have been invited to the party. I didn't have the right clothes. I didn't hang with the right people. There's nothing in me that gets me into that party. But then we so quickly think, well, now that I'm in here, thanks for doing that for me, Jesus, but I'll take it from here. 
The only way I can stay in this party and enjoy this party is by stuff I need to do. So I've got to start working harder now. Let me put it in theological terms. It's confusing justification and sanctification. In justification, what's it mean? It means that in Christ, because of his life, that he lived perfectly, he exchanges that with us because he died a death we should have died because of our sin. And he gives us his perfect righteousness so we now, when we put our faith and we rest our whole life in what Jesus did on the cross, dying in our place, we're justified. We're made right before God. It's, and we remember it's, it's just as if I'd never sinned. God then declares you righteous because of your union with Christ. But the question is, well, how am I then sanctified? How do I grow more like Christ? That's what sanctification is. I'm going to grow in this holiness. Well, sanctification, listen, it's all God too. It's God by his spirit, through his word, transforming you daily into the image of Christ. How's it happen? Well, Hebrews 10, 14 says it this way. It says, by a single offering... Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. What's the author of Hebrews saying? God's saying this, listen, that, that Jesus is perfecting those who are perfected. You catch that? So, so this idea, well, well wait a minute, so, so my works, I don't do these works to get more, more uh, approval from God. I don't do them so that God is, finds me more pleasing. No, you are declared righteous in Christ. And now you're to live out who you are. If you put your faith in Christ, you're declared righteous. The evidence of that perfection now is, is shown in how you live your life. You begin to hate sin and follow after Christ, and it's his power in you that lets you daily live that out. And we're going to get into, as we go through the book of Galatians in this series, we hit chapter 5 and 6. We're going to see how this is practically worked out. But for now, what Paul's doing is he's writing this letter. And if it was an email, it would be all caps, bold, extra large font. Like he is pretty fired up about this. And he's saying, hey, what's wrong with you guys? Why do you keep messing with grace? Why is it that you're missing the gospel? saying, Jesus took the chains off of your neck. Why do you want to go grab the chains and put them back on? He's, he set you free from bondage and sin and shame. Why do you want to swim back across the Red Sea to go back into Egypt and live like a slave? Because you've been set free. You're free in Christ. Why are you living in bondage? And I think, think maybe, maybe we'll struggle with this in church world, though. And maybe for you, maybe you show up on a Sunday morning and go, I don't know, like this week, I mean, I was kind of doing pretty good. I, I, was, I was really kind of hitting out of the park as far as this whole Christian thing's concerned. I, I mean, I was reading my Bible. I prayed. I was, I was a good spouse. I, I didn't say anything really bad. I didn't watch anything I shouldn't have. I, I mean, I, in fact, you know what? I, I, I'm not just worshiping this Sunday. Like first service, I was serving. So I like worked one, worship one. Like I'm killing it this morning. So God had better bless me. Or maybe you're more like me. I, I struggle more on the other side. But maybe you come in here this morning and you're thinking the opposite. Like, I have not done so well this week. I haven't been the best spouse. I was ashamed of Jesus in my work or at school. I, I've said things that I wish I didn't say. I'm, I'm battling a sin that I just hoped I would finally have victory over, but I've continued to struggle in. And, and, and in fact, I mean, I mean, coming to church is great. But I mean, on the way here, I got in a fight with my wife. I yelled at my kids. We get here, and I'm like, okay, let's worship. Right? 
And some of you are like doing one of these, that was us. (laughs) (laughs) And you show up and you think, man, there's no way that God could love me today. And Paul says to both of those people, if if you're one or the other of those, Paul would look at you and he would say this. He would say, verse 1 of chapter 3, Oh, foolish Galatians. Oh, foolish Muskokans. He's saying, you guys are fools. You're nutbar. You're crazy. You've, You've left grace. I mean, one modern translation of the original says it this way. It says, you dear idiots of Galatia. Like, very pastoral, Paul, right? You, you, you think about what the Amplified, it doesn't get any better. The, the translation that expands all the words to their fullest meaning, it says this, Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Now listen, Paul's not calling them dumb. Being a fool isn't, isn't that you don't have the knowledge. To be a fool is that you have the knowledge. You see it right before you, and yet you choose something different. Being a fool is being given, here's all the power that you have, that you need, and we go and do something different. It's, it, it's, you're like given this task of, hey, you need to take this trip across this huge prairie, and here's a horse to do it. And you go, thanks for the horse, and you pick the horse up and begin to walk across. It's crazy, right? In fact, Jesus uses the same words as he's walking on the road to Emmaus. He's, he's died, been buried, and now he's risen again, and he's walking with these disciples on the road to Emmaus. And these disciples are complaining to Jesus about Jesus. And they're saying, man, like we put a lot of hope in this Jesus guy. We thought he was the Messiah. I mean, he had so much potential. Too bad he died. And you know what Jesus said to them? He said, you're fools. You had the scriptures. You, you, you read for yourselves. You knew it was going to happen. You knew the Messiah would come and suffer and die to rescue you. So let's read these verses, the first three verses. Let's get started. Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing? with faith. Are you so foolish? Call some fools again. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So people had come in, these false teachers had come in and said, hey, listen, grace is good to get you up to the plate, but if you want to hit a home run, it's all on you now. You need more than grace. Here's our first point. If you're taking notes this morning, it's this. I need Jesus to live just as much as I did to come alive. I need Jesus to live just as much as I needed him to be made alive. I I need Jesus just as much today and every day as I needed Jesus the, the day he changed me, saved me, transformed me by his grace. We never graduate beyond our need of grace. To be declared new in Christ. It's not like Jesus comes up to you and and you're like, oh, I just had a heart attack. And he shocks you awake and gives you a pacemaker and says, this will help you a bit to go on with life. No, Jesus comes and takes out your old heart, removes it. Then he takes his own heart and places it in you. And so your, your daily life, it's, it's now made possible. Why? Because you have this new heart in you every day, every moment possible because it's his power in you, his strength in you. I love how Ezekiel eleven nineteen 19 says it this way. He removes your heart of stone 
and he's given you a heart of flesh. In Colossians, Paul says, as you've received Christ, how you came to life in Christ, he says, so walk in him. I need Jesus to live just as much as I did to come alive. And he asks them in, in, in verse 2 here, verse 1, sorry, he says, listen, it was betrayed before your eyes. And in verse 2, he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He said, hey, when you receive Christ, if you're a Christ follower, you've been changed by Christ, how, how did you receive the Spirit? What, what role did you play in your salvation? Like, was it because, like, God was looking down and he goes, man, you know what, you... Check this person out. Like they used to be like a yellow belt in righteousness, but they're like up to third degree black belt now. They are doing so good. They're serving so much and doing everything. You know, we got to save this one. That's not how it was, right? God, God reached down in his grace. And you came to a place where you tapped out and said, I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I can't get to heaven on my own. I can't be changed on my own, transformed on my own. Jesus, I need you. And Paul says, listen, if that's how the journey began, if that's how your journey with Jesus began, how do you go on living for Jesus? He says, you do it the same way. Because are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Is it stuff that you think you're doing to keep this going? At that moment, you responded to God's grace, so you, you trusted in Christ alone, and you rested your whole life in Him. Your life completely changed. You are filled with the Spirit right there at that moment, and He's saying, listen, so stop trying to be perfect on your own effort. Stop saying, hey, thanks for getting me out onto this tightrope, but I think I'll take it from here. I can do it myself now. Listen, the only way for us to walk in holiness, to, to live in the power that you've been created for, is to every day we wake up in that same place of desperation saying, Jesus, I need you again today. You can think of it this way. Remember the story of Peter when he walked on the water. Jesus had been teaching all day and, and he says to his disciples, hey, hey, take this boat, go across the other side, side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm gonna go around and meet you on the other side. And they, they go out into the, the Sea of Galilee. It's late at night and a storm comes up, right? And just starts to beat against this boat and, and Jesus sees them from afar off. And what's he do? Jesus walks out onto the water towards the boat. Disciples freaked out. They didn't even know who it was. They thought it was a ghost. Jesus said, hey guys, it's me. And Peter, what's he do? He says, Jesus, if it's really you, then call me out onto the water. And Jesus says, come on out. Man, can you imagine how much faith it took for Peter to, to then to, to, to go out onto that water, to jump out of this boat onto the stormy, it wasn't like a flat, beautiful lake. There was a storm going on and he jumps out of the boat. He says, Jesus, if you're real, I'm gonna trust my whole life to you. I mean, that's the moment of your salvation where you say, Jesus, if you're real, if you are who you say you are, I'm going to put my whole life into this. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give you everything. I mean, how, how much do you need Jesus at that point? How much did Peter need Jesus to be able to jump out of this boat, to be able to step out onto the water? Because Jesus didn't do the whole peace be still thing. He's jumping into a storm. He leaps out of the boat. Huge faith. A huge 
need of Jesus right there. Now I can imagine Peter jumps out and if, I, if I'm like one of the other disciples and I'm chickening out, I'm not taking that step. I'm in the boat, they'll high five and the other guy's going, check out Peter, yeah, Pete, woo, right? Would you not be doing that? I'd be like so excited for him as he's leaping out into this and, and Peter steps out and then what happens? He's out on the middle of the water and it says in, in Matthew 14 verse 30 that he looked around and saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. At that moment, as he's sinking into the water, he cries out with this cry of just, Lord, save me. And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, swim harder. <laughs> Peter, you're doing it wrong. You've got to stand more like this. And are you goofy fun? Are you regular? Like, you got to slide down the wave. Like, you're not doing it right. Come on, right? Jesus yelled at him, Lord, save me. That's it. That's your prayer. Like, quote some scripture, speak in tongues. Like, pray in a, I got a book that teaches you how to pray in a really unique way. And when you do that, then I answer. And no, what does Jesus do? It said in verse 31 that immediately Jesus reached down and grabbed him. Pulls him up out of the water. Immediately. And then what's Jesus say to Peter after he lifts him up out of the water? He says to Peter, why do you have so little faith? Why, why did you doubt? Think about it. I, mean, I would think Peter had some huge faith to jump out of that boat and get out onto the water and listen, to respond to the call of Jesus to come. Huge faith. But listen, he needed the same faith to continue to walk on the water. That same faith that, that brought you to new life is the same faith you rely on to live out this life. And what was Peter's problem? Peter's problem is he took his eyes off the one who was the author of that faith. If you're taking notes, here's our second point this morning. I need to look where I want to go. I need to look where I want to go. You know, I first learned how to, how to mountain bike, downhill mountain bike. The person who was teaching me, I was living in British Columbia, he says, hey, here's a key to doing this well. Look where you want to go. I thought, that seems like a pretty good thing. I'll, I'll try that, right? And so I'm going down this hill way faster than I should be going, and I see a tree that's too close to the side of the trail. And so what do I do? I forget everything he says, and I try to stare down this tree. I'm like, I don't want to hit that tree. I don't want to. And so I'm staring at it the whole time. So guess what I did? Hit the tree, square on. Right? He says, if you want to survive this, look where you want to go. You turn your head, your body goes that way, right? Listen, it's the same spiritually as it is physically. Think again of Peter. He leaps out of the boat. Why? Because he's looking at Jesus on the water. And then he takes his eyes off of where his help comes from. Look at Galatians 3 again. Paul says, oh, you foolish Galatians. He says, who has bewitched you? Who's hypnotized you? Who's fooled you? Who's tricked you? Who's done a sleight of hand with you to confuse where to look? Because he says this, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and, and starts looking at his own effort. The Galatian church take theirs, takes their eyes off of grace. They took their eyes off the cross of Christ and begin to look everywhere else. 
Well, maybe it's our effort. Maybe it's our technique. Maybe it's some things we need to do. Maybe we just got to look deep inside ourselves. And Paul says, guys, guys, Jesus was publicly portrayed to you. He said, like, I preached Christ crucified so much, I, I just kept preaching the cross and preaching the gospel. Like, Paul, the gospel again? Yeah, I want to preach it again. And he gets publicly displayed. It's, it's this image of, like, I put up billboards everywhere. You saw this. You know this. I just preached it all the time. Like, yeah, 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 Paul, we get that you preach it all the time, but, but we're, we're sick of just being in the ABCs of, of the gospel. We want to go something deeper. And Paul's like, there is no deeper. It's A to Z. It's the whole thing. Christ lived the life that I couldn't live. He died the death that I should die. He was buried and rose again, and he conquered sin and death and myself to raise you to new life. Justified, completely transformed, totally changed. To go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of life. To go from an enemy of God to a, not just a friend of God, but a child of God. And that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now yours to live out this new life. Being sanctified, pursuing Jesus. That's what Paul taught. And he said, I did it so clearly your eyes should have stayed on this, but they were fooled, they were bewitched, they were tricked by false teachers. And they stopped looking at Jesus. I think we can be so tempted to, to look at other things and say, this is where my hope will come from. And so often, it's not bad things. It's not like the church in Galatia was, was saying, oh, you got to do these awful things. No, they're like, hey, here are things that are good in your walk with Christ. But they, they made those the things to focus on. So I don't know what it is for you, what it is that you're, you're looking towards to say, this is going to bring me hope. Maybe you look at your marriage or your family. Like if, if I have the perfect marriage, if my family's a perfect family, then I will have hope. Listen, your spouse, your family cannot bear the weight of your soul. We need to tear up that picture of a perfect family before that picture tears up our family and put our hope and our trust in the only place where it can be found, and that's Jesus Christ. Maybe you look to your health. Maybe when I'm healthy, God is good. When I'm not healthy, God, what's going on? Well, if I serve God, that's my hope. If I, if I serve or if I'm in a small group, because, man, they're all about small groups here. So if I get into a small group, man, that's what's so important. What is it where you're looking for your hope? If I'm well thought of. If I just have peace deep inside, if, if, if I'm being used by God, there's my hope. I mean, I mean God, I'll go through all this, but, but please then just use me. And as long as people are changed by what I'm going through, then I'm okay with it. And Paul puts forth this brilliant argument. As we bring this stuff, go, hey, Paul, what about this? Maybe this is where I find my hope. Maybe this is the answer. And here's Paul's brilliant argument. What are you, crazy? That's it. To, to live without grace is crazy. If, if someone, anyone, if it's even yourself that's trying to convince you that you need Jesus plus this, you need to say, what are you crazy? Jesus is all I need. 
I mean, that's why we're doing these videos every couple of weeks of people giving their testimony of being set free. Every video will be the same. It's going to be a different struggle. It's going to be a different thing that someone's put their hope in. They say, you know, I, I thought I needed perfection. I, I thought I needed freedom in, in, in my own life, going my own way. I thought I needed relationships to be perfect. I thought I... And everyone ends the same way. But you know what? I found out all I need is Christ. And Jesus set me free from running after all these empty promises. Listen, I want a marriage and a family that's, that's God-honoring, that's peaceful, but it's not my hope for wholeness. I want relationships that are gospel-centered, but it's not my hope. And listen, your hope, my hope is that God the Father has declared you through Jesus Christ as righteous. You're an accepted child of God, no matter what else you believe about yourself or think about yourself. Your identity in Christ, if you put your faith in him, is solid biblical truth. So think again of Peter jumping out of the boat and walking on the water. Peter wasn't so much walking out onto water as he was walking out onto the promises of God. He, he wasn't just standing on, on waves. He's standing on the character of Jesus. He knew who Christ was, and he jumped in. And when he took his eyes off those two things, when he took his eyes off the goodness of God and the character and promises of God, he began to sink. When we stumble in sin and in doubt and in difficulties, listen, the answer's the same as it was for Peter. Put your eyes back on Jesus Christ. The story of Peter walking in the water is not a story for us to think how awesome Peter was. It's to remind us that we all have a Savior in whom we can fully trust. I mean, think about even what we know now on the other side of the cross that Peter didn't know as he jumped out of the boat. What do we know? Jesus didn't just come to calm storms. No, Jesus embraced the ultimate storm of God's wrath for sin. He didn't just walk on top of waves. He conquered sin and death in the resurrection. He didn't just lift us up onto the waves of our trouble, but he gave us his spirit and the power of resurrection living for us every day. Like, I know we're Canadian, but you should do an amen after something like that, all right? <laughs> if all of this is true, if, if the gospel is really true, then we know, Jesus, you're going to be with me when I stumble. Jesus, if you reached out to me to save me when I was your enemy, how much more so when I call out to you as your child will God the Father reach out to you to rescue you? If you're sinking this morning, put your eyes back on the things that you were looking to when you jumped out of the boat. When you jumped and you believed, Jesus, you are trustworthy. I can put my full hope in you. Or maybe, maybe for you, the jumping out of the boat, it's, it's beyond just your salvation story. You, you've stepped out in, a, in an act of faith to do something great for the Lord, and now it's hard. It doesn't mean that Jesus has abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have jumped. Trust Jesus in the waves. See him again, hear him again, know him again. Take that next step out onto the water. 
Listen, the, the first jump takes a lot of faith. Peter was the only disciple that actually jumped out of the boat, but that, that same intensity of faith that it takes to leap out of the boat, that same faith in the goodness and grace of God is required for every step of the Christian life. And so for us this morning, maybe for you this morning, the call you need to hear is this, get out of the boat. And maybe you've been checking out Jesus for a while, you're kind of just sort of looking to see what, what, what's this all about, and you're, you're hearing Jesus say, come. And he's drawing your heart. You know he is. It's why you're here this morning again, because he's been drawing you. Maybe this morning is where you say, listen, I'm going to put my full trust in this. It, it doesn't look safe. It, it's, it's stormy. It, it looks dangerous, but I, I'm going to trust in the goodness of God and the promises of God. Maybe for you, you're a follower of Christ, but you're, you're in a storm right now. It feels like you've been sinking. It feels like nothing's working. It feels like you're battling the same sin over and over again. Listen, keep trusting, keep serving, keep obeying, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Keep asking like Peter asked, what do you want me to do? Can I, can I come out to where you are? Hebrews 12, I love it. Hebrews 12 says, get rid of everything that so easily entangles you. Get rid of all the unnecessary idols and things you're grabbing a hold of saying, this will give me hope. Get rid of all the sin that's holding you back, that's distracting you, and run the race with your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Because when we look to Jesus, we, we can do impossible things in his name. Do you believe that? I mean, we may be hard-pressed, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we're not in despair. We might be persecuted, but we're never left alone. We might be struck down, but we're not destroyed. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul continues on in this text here, and he basically brings his argument to this, this crescendo, this, this ultimate, where he says, listen, listen, if, you, if you're not getting this, you're not buying this, he says, let me bring some witnesses here to show you something. And what's he going to show us? It's our third point, and it's this, that I added nothing to my greatest moment. I added nothing to my greatest moment. At that, that moment of salvation where God reached down and changed your heart, if you put your faith in Christ, we did nothing in that. Paul says in verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing and faith? He says, all the things you're experiencing in Christ, did it come because you did things or is it because of Christ? How did you get saved, he says. When the Spirit first came to you, when you got saved and, and right away filled with the Spirit, who gave you the Spirit? When, when you see miracles happening all around you and God doing these things, who's doing those miracles? It's all Christ and none of us. In fact, one of the best arguments about the fact that it's all Jesus and not us is to just take a look in my life. Like, just look in each other's lives. I, I love when, when people outside of the church look in and they go, oh, man, I, I'd never go to your church. It's full of hypocrites. And I say, we've got empty chairs. There's still room for you, too. So you want to join with the, right? But here's the thing. When someone says, you're just, you live the same way the world is. You still struggle and sin. You still do these things. And, man, you're full of the, I cannot believe it. Listen, I'm like, like, you know what? You nailed it. 
That is who I am, except for one big difference. I have Jesus. It's, it's not that I'm more lovely. It's that God chose and loved me. It's, it's not that you're, you're more valuable than somebody else, but you're valued by God. And he makes you lovely. He makes you valuable. God, God's transforming love through his spirit. He's poured into your hearts and, and he, he's changed you. It's easy though, if you've been a Christian for any long period of time, to, to go, you know what, I, I get that. I get that it was all Christ and none of me, that God did the work, but now that I've been following him for a while, I think I can run my own life now. I think I've got it from here and I, I can walk the rest of my way on my own. And Paul says, don't lose grace. To live without grace is crazy. And he says, tell you what, let me call three witnesses to the stand. And he calls these, these three witnesses. And we're going to go from the last to the first here. So look at verse 11. He calls Habakkuk to the stand. He quotes from the prophet Habakkuk. Verse 11, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And he quotes Habakkuk here. The righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. So he says, hey, Habakkuk, are the Galatians right? Uh, yeah, no, Paul, they are not right. They're crazy if they're living without faith. It's not just starting the race. It's, it's the whole race. He goes, okay, thanks, Habakkuk. You can step down. I'm now going to call Moses to the stand. And Moses comes up, and the Galatians are like, yeah, this guy's our boy. We like Moses. We're following his laws. He's our guy. The Judaizers loved him. But verse 10 for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, this is Moses now, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He said, listen, the law is great, but you're cursed if you don't do it all. So, so imagine you're at a workplace where your boss says, hey, here's the rules. Here's how we do things in our company, and you need to do everything on this list, and you have to do it perfectly. You mess one up, you're fired. And in, and in fact, it's even more than that. I've got this special software and a screen in my office where I can read your mind and I know your motives and everything. And you've got to be perfect in everything you do, from your motives to your actions. And some of you are thinking, man, you know my boss, right? <laughs> you couldn't do it, could you? It, like, by noon, we're all fired. And Moses says, the law is great. The law is great if you never mess up. Because once you mess up, you're cursed. Paul's like, thanks, Moses, you could take a seat. <coughs> he also called up Abraham. In Genesis 15, you, you can read that later this week. In Genesis 15, God promises salvation to this guy named Abraham. You say, hey, Abraham, through you, the whole world is going to be blessed because coming from you is going to be a savior that's going to take the curse of sin on himself. And in Genesis 15, verse 6, and Paul quotes it here in verse 6 of chapter 3, you can see it there. It says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are 
of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. How did Abraham become changed? How was Abraham saved? It was by faith and he just believed and it says it was counted to him as righteousness. It's like it was a banking term. It's like Abraham believes and all of a sudden his bank is full of righteousness. Because I didn't earn any of that. How did, how did that get there? Because you believed and it was counted to him. Abraham brought nothing to the table. He was a pagan when God called him. The, the law wasn't even written yet. And the, the false teachers are coming in going, hey, hey, it's all about circumcision. You've got to do the Jewish r- laws of circumcision. And, and the Galatian church is full of Gentiles. And they're going, yeah, circumcision. We vote no on that one. Listen, Abraham believed, was counted as righteous. It wasn't until after that he became circumcised. He was counted as righteous, being righteous. It's like he obeyed the law perfectly 430 years before it was even written. Now, how did it happen in Abraham's life? And how, how do we know that, that we've been changed? Here's how it happened in Abraham's life. Back then, if you're going to make a covenant with someone, and God said, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant, a promise with you. You didn't get a lawyer to write it all out for you in a contract. Instead, here's what you do. You take animals, and you cut these animals in half and place them along a pathway, these different animals cut in half where the blood would then run into the path. You're thinking, right now, lawyers sound pretty good, right? And, and cut them in half and place them there. And then what happened is the two of you making this promise, this covenant together, would walk down the center of those animals that have been chopped up through the blood. And you'd be saying as you walk through them, so let this happen to me. Let me be cut up like these animals if I break this covenant. So Abraham cuts up the animals, lays them out on the pathway, goes to the beginning of the path. I'm sure ready. Okay, Lord, let's walk through this. And what happens? God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. Abraham's waking up going, what? I didn't know I was that tired. Like, okay, God, are you ready? Are we going to walk through here? And God's like, no, I already did it. Wait a minute, God, I thought we were entering into an agreement here. And God says, yeah, yeah, we are, but you're never going to be able to keep these commandments. You're never going to be able to obey my law perfectly. So if this whole promise is based on you, it's going to totally fall apart. And so while Abraham was sleeping, God himself walks through the animals. Listen, your salvation, it's not based on your works, your effort, your character. God is not going to let our salvation be based on anything we bring to the table, anything that we could add to this moment. Listen, like Abraham, we were asleep when this happened. I did nothing to add to the greatest moment in my life. God himself walked through the bloody pieces. Jesus himself was tore apart as though though he had broken the covenant. Look at verse 12. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus was tore apart in our place. Jesus hung a cross in our place. And God says, listen, my promise to you, my covenant to you is complete, unconditional, eternal, irrevocable. It'll never fail. Why? Because my character is sure. Because my name is perfect. My name is Jesus. And I will lead you to victory. 
If you know Jesus Christ, your heart of stone has been removed and Jesus has placed his heart in you. It's all about the one who we look to who gave us grace. It's why we sing about grace. It's why we preach about grace. It's why we talk about grace. Listen, walk in that same grace. As the worst team comes up and we end off this morning, I was thinking about Peter again and how his story ended on that, that night that he walked on the water. He was rescued by Jesus, brought back into the boat. And you would think when he got to the boat, if I was Peter, I would probably be pretty embarrassed. Maybe I'd go sit by myself in a corner of the boat and like, yeah, I don't want to even look at the other guys. And the other guys, maybe if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, Peter, you sank like a rock. Like, you didn't, you barely got two steps in there. But hey, man, don't worry about it. It's all good. Like, we all screw up. And I did some crazy stuff in my, you know, growing up years too, so I get it. And you're all soaking wet right now. And, and hey, we don't have any clothes to put on you, but when we get to shore, we won't even talk about it, but we'll get you some dry clothes so you can get all cleaned up. And no, you know what happened? When they got into the boat, you know what they did? Right away, it says, they worshiped Jesus. They don't talk about Peter at all. Peter doesn't sulk. Peter doesn't feel unworthy in his sin. He just worships Jesus. He worships Jesus soaking wet. How often does, does church become this place where we say, hey, 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 no, 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 no. Get some dry clothes on first. Then you worship Jesus. If, you, if you're wet, like you can, you can stay out back there, like outside, like don't come in, don't bring that wet clothes in here because none of us are wearing wet clothes. Okay, we all are, but we fake it good, right? We've all fallen in the water. We've all looked away from Jesus. And, and listen, what's this say? It says, listen, in that moment, worship Jesus. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. I was reading another, another preacher who was talking about this passage. And he, I didn't even see this before, but, but he said, the boat comes to shore, and what happens immediately? They jump out of the boat and begin to minister to people. Imagine Peter, but Jesus, I just sank here. I'm soaking wet. I'm not ready. Jesus, like, hey, knock it off, Peter. You're going to need to serve me in your weakness. Because it's not about you, Peter. It's about me. Walk in my grace. Walk in the power of the resurrection that I've placed in you. And as we close this morning, listen, look to Jesus. We are saved by grace. We walk by grace. We, we need to keep the cross before us like a billboard. We preach the cross. We sing about the cross. We talk about the cross. We want to have this clear picture of what it means to walk in grace to walk in victory. It's where we find rest for our weary souls. And it begins at that moment, not of, hey, be more committed. It begins in that moment where as you're sinking, you surrender yourself completely to the Lord. You say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. And you surrender to him and say, Lord, whatever you have for me for today, I give my will and my life to you. I'm going to trust in your promise. I'm going to trust in your goodness. I'm going to trust in your power. This is how we overcome addiction. This is how we overcome bitterness. This is how we live holy lives. This is how we're freed from insecurity. You are dead in your sin because of the cross, and you've been made alive. 
in Jesus Christ. And you can have the power now. If you know Jesus, you have the power in you to say no to sin and yes to God. So my question for you this morning is, where do you need to say yes to God? Where has Jesus called out to you and said, come, jump out of the boat, come up onto the water? Where does God and his spirit and the power of his resurrection begin, need to begin to live through you this morning? Where is it that you're, you're still hiding out in the boat and you're, you're not dead to that sin? You keep clinging to the boat and clinging to, this is my hope. And she said, no, no, your hope is in me and, and you need to, to live like you're dead to that sin. Where are you not living like you're dead to sin? Listen, that's where God wants to enter. That's where he's coming in saying, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. Where is it for you this morning? that you need to jump out of the boat, that you need to call out to Jesus, you need to call out to him and rest in his power and in his grace to walk this Christian life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that the same grace that, that changed us, the same grace that brought us from death to life is that same grace, that same power that allows us to live out this life, that the, the power of the resurrection, the same power that raised you, Lord Jesus, from the dead is at work in us today. God, give us the courage to step out in that. Lord, where we've been saying no to you and yes to sin, forgive us. Give us that, that strength that you promise us to say yes to you that we would trust you, trust your goodness, trust your promises, and we would walk in the faith by which we've been called. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.